Well, we're going to continue on this morning. And in the theme, kind of that Mindy talked about of assembly, I'm wondering if you've ever seen anything that looks like this. Anybody? I see some nods. I see some hands. Yeah, some type of, some assembly required. It looks like this is a desk or a TV stand. It's got all these, like, parts and pieces that you get. Recently, uh, we ordered a bed for Ben, uh, and, and we got him a platform bed with, with drawers, and, and it came, and it had these directions that you needed to follow. Directions that said, all right, take part A and, and part B and put part C in between. Use fasteners AA along with washer CC and, you know, screw them together. You know, beds aren't the only thing that we end up having to put together. Uh, recently, we, we received some chairs at church, some office chairs. We put some together for the, the tech booth, and they kind of looked like this when they came. And you needed to take and put the parts and pieces together. You know, you can actually get other things that are some assembly required. Uh, if you can't tell, this is actually a motorcycle, uh, but it's not fully put together. Uh, there's this, uh, a car that you can buy that comes as a kit, and it's not wanting to adv- advance. You want to go there? Uh, and it comes with all the parts and all the pieces, and it's your job to follow the directions well. You know, Mindy asked if I ever encounter times where you have to, to go back in the directions to take some things apart, and I don't think you'd want to do that. I think you'd want to want to lay out all the pieces like this and make sure that you're putting every piece in the right spot, that when you got to the end, you wouldn't end up with a leftover washer or wonder where that bolt was supposed to go that is, is there, right? I think there's a couple responses that people have when they see something has some assembly required. I think maybe three responses we could say. The first response is to just send it back. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to look at the directions. They don't want to build it themselves. They don't, they don't feel like going through the work. You know, some people, maybe it's, it's kind of like this otherwise. It's not, not going again, Bree. You want to... This is an Ikea box, and uh, it looks like they just decided they weren't going to build the nightstand, so they're using the box as the nightstand, right? Uh, they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to continue on building. It's just... It's just done. But, you know, I think the second person, maybe, instead of sending it back or just leaving it as is, uh, they're like me. And they'll go and they'll take everything out of the box. They'll lay it all out so you can get a, a good view of all the pieces, all the pieces that are the same, match them up right next to each other, right? All the washers that are the same in, in maybe one bin and so on. And, and they meticulously go through the direction time after time. Perhaps even, I don't do this, read the directions before they start. I don't do that. But they're going through, and in the end, in the end, after they've followed all the instructions, putting all the pieces where they need to be, they end up with the chair or the motorcycle or the car or the table, whatever it happens to be. There's a third type of person that says, oh, these directions, I don't need those directions, and they just start trying to figure it out 
on their own. There might be a little bit of trial and error as they give it along where they have to take apart something to put it back together. But in the end, they too, perhaps with a little bit more trouble, they finish the project. They, they put all the fasteners where they need to go. They, they end up with a wonderful-looking and useful item, whatever that happens to be. Some assembly required. Reminds me, too, a little bit as we think about salvation that sometimes individuals go on and, and teach in a way that sounds like we need to earn part of our salvation. That over the course of time, that the behaviors and the actions that we do are a part where we are adding on to what Jesus has already done. That our our good works, so to speak, are something that we're kind of like building a little ladder up to heaven. And, and if I tithe every Sunday, I got one. And if I go to church every Sunday or go to a, a small group or Bible study that just keeps adding to my ladder. And we're going we're gonna to consider how that really isn't the case. How salvation is not some assembly required because Jesus finished the work. This is in that series which we talked about earlier where we're going through all the various things which, which we try to add. And, and last week we looked at the word tradition, right? And, and I told you not to send me an email because I said tradition is not always the way to transformation. And I thank you, you didn't send me any emails. Right? And that's because we looked in Acts 15 and we saw how those were those Judaizers that tried to add something to salvation saying, you cannot be saved unless you do this. You follow the law in this way. But the reality was is Peter saw how, how salvation had gone to the Gentiles through the power of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit had gone into the believers, the Gentile believers, without following the law first. And so now we look instead at what do we have to offer in salvation? What role does good works actually play out in salvation? So let's head to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you grab one of those black Bibles that's in front of you, it'll be page 947. Students, that's my kids and anyone else, it's on page 1460 in your New International Reader's Version Bible. All right. Let us read chapter 2, starting at verse 1 through verse 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God who is 
rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul, uh, writing to the church in Ephesus. And if anybody wants to learn more about this book, just a, a slight plug. Uh, Coffee Break is studying the book of Ephesians. And so if you're a lady, you can join in on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. What? Well, I think ladies in the morning. And then in the evening, uh, men and women are invited to study together at 7 p.m. Emily just said if you're a guy and you'd like to come in the morning, go for it. So if you, you want to learn some more, uh, head into that group. It's an opportunity to, to study the Word with our fellow believers. In this, in this passage, Paul uses contrast. He often uses contrast. He, and he begins with... with this idea of death, and he moves on to the idea of life, recognizing that at one point, talking to the believers in Ephesus, you were dead in your sin and in your transgression. You were dead in the way that you were living. You were, you were born into a life where your initial desires were all about yourself. And the reason he, he compares this is because he wants to say is this is the way you once lived. It's not the, the way you live right now. You once lived in ways that were opposed to the ways of God. You once lived in ways that were in, in opposition to God's will and, and promoted your own will and, and your own desires. You once lived in ways to build your own kingdom, but, but now you're living in ways to build God's kingdom. You once lived in a manner that was selfish, but now you're living in a manner that recognizes others as more important than yourself, just as Christ would have done. This is a story of being dead in sins and transgressions which would be set in the past. And the current story for the people would be what comes next where they are alive with Christ. This passage perhaps is a story that recalls how God Himself assembled the pieces of salvation bringing together everything that needed to be done. God because of His great love for us. It's God who is rich in mercy. And this is the NIV translation. I'm going to put up a different translation here, uh, which it has one of my favorite word combinations. This is an English Standard Version. 
And I, I just love the first two words there, but God. It's a, a little bit different. And anytime you, you read Scripture, whether it's in the NIV or the, the ESV or whatever translation you use, if you see the word, the conjunction but, and then the word God, what you're going to know is that something else that's going to be coming is going to be entirely the work of God. That what comes after that is something about who God is and and what He is doing and it is going to be His complete work that is going to be on display. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love that He had for us, what did He do? He sent Christ. He made us alive in Christ even when we, in verse 1, were dead in Christ our transgressions. He made us alive before we could do anything of it on our own. We were, we were disobedient, living in our own way, and, but God being rich in mercy gave us a gift of salvation, something that we didn't earn on our own. By grace, you have been saved. one of the ways we can think about it is by thinking about the resurrection of Christ. While we were dead in our transgressions, it was Christ who died for us and and gave us His righteousness and made us alive as Jesus was laying in the tomb. It was Jesus who was dead in the tomb. You don't put partly alive people in the tomb. You don't put people in the tomb that are going to recover. He was completely lifeless and dead. And, and while He was lifeless and dead, the Spirit came on Him in such a way that caused blood to start coursing through His veins again, that started to cause His complexion to go from a stark white to to whatever it was when he was alive, it it caused him to be raised up by the power of the Spirit. It's that same work that happens in our life while we were completely dead and lifeless, while we were following our own way and, and building our own kingdom. It was the Spirit by the power of Christ that comes into our life and and makes us alive with Christ, giving us a new life that we wouldn't have had before. A new life raised with Christ, seated with Him, receiving His righteousness, not creating any righteousness of our own, all His work and none of our work. For it is grace, by grace we have been saved through faith, not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is no assembly required because Jesus completed all the work. When when Jesus was finished, there was nothing that needed to be added on to salvation for us to to somehow gain a way to heaven. He, He made it so we would have righteousness, His righteousness, a standing before God that we never had before. We know 
it was finished because of what we read in the book of John, John chapter 19, uh, verses 28 through 30. This is when Jesus himself was already up on the cross. Uh, Jesus said he was thirsty, that's the end of verse 28, and, and they gave him a, a jar of, of sour wine uh, so that he could have it, and, and they lifted up. And after, they, after he had received that drink, he said it is finished. The work that he did was, was finished, and he gave up his spirit, and it was then that he died. He didn't say, all right, now my work is done, it's your turn to finish it. I don't think that would be quite as memorable, would it? He, he didn't say that there was something else that needed to happen. He said it was, it was finished. It was done. The work that needed to be taken, uh, the work that needed to take place for salvation to happen in the life of God's people was completely finished. Nothing else to add on. Salvation that Jesus paved way for. It was not a 90% off coupon that required you to do 10%. Salvation is not like that 11% rebate that Menards has that they make it so difficult that you actually have to snail mail it in because they know people won't do that and then they won't have to give it out, right? Salvation isn't something that we need to, to add on to. It's not like the, the Kohl's cash that keeps you going back into the store to actually receive its benefit. No, with, with salvation, when you believe in Christ, it's at that moment that you receive all the benefits. All the benefits that we have of, of salvation with Christ. Of Him indwelling us through the Spirit. Of us receiving that new life and that desire to, to follow God. Salvation is no assembly required. All the benefits are, are right there given to you right at that moment. I think sometimes it's hard for us, especially I think people like myself that have been in church for their entire life, that it becomes really easy to, to compare and to think about how, how are the ways which we've devoted ourselves to Christ and lived in a way and, and comparing ourselves to, to other people and, and to, to go back and try to build that ladder again. To think about how all the things we did, well, I did these things for you, Lord. And, and thinking that they add something to the work that we already know that was finished in Jesus. And I don't think it's just me. I remember a couple years ago I was speaking to uh, an 80-year-old that had, was, was getting near uh, passing away. And the words he said to me, I think, were kind of haunting. He said, and this is a believer that that had grown up in the faith, had desired to serve God in, in each and every moment of their life, and, and, and was a faithful follower of God. And, and on their deathbed, they said, I wonder if I did enough. Steve, I wonder if I did enough. How is it that we as, 
as believers in Christ, knowing that it is finished, knowing that salvation is a gift of God. When we looked at this passage a couple years ago, we said the phrase, you didn't earn it, right? We don't earn our salvation. It is a complete gift of what God's giving. And somehow, yet, myself and others, we, we wonder if we did enough. We wonder if we, we built the ladder tall enough, if we, if we, if we uh, sacrificed of something to, to give to church, if we, if we volunteered enough, if we, if we did something enough. To, to add that other rung, well, you know, I, I support missionaries, so that adds in a rung, and that's a good thing. We should totally do that, right? Uh, I, I, uh, but I sometimes lose my temper, so maybe I've got to take that rung off. You know, I try to be the, the best example for my kids and also for other people, so maybe I can put a, a rung on. You know, every now and then I see my neighbor's trash can and I pull it in for them. Maybe that's another rung that I add to my ladder. And, and we think about all these ways where, where we take our good works and we put them in a spot where they were never intended to be. Or the good works which God had prepared for us beforehand, verse 10, was, was never meant to be this, this we got to make 10% of what Jesus did so we can make our way up to heaven. Our good works were never meant to be part of an addition on to our salvation through Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, we never needed a ladder in the first place. The concept of having a ladder means that we are trying to somehow get ourselves up to where Christ is, but if we looked in the passage that that when Jesus gave us His righteousness with the Spirit worked in us, that, that the Spirit Himself raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. We don't need a ladder. It's, it's, it's unimportant. It's irrelevant. It's the Spirit who has brought us up to heaven to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms right when belief takes place. But the other thing is that it was God really that brought heaven down to us. Instead of us trying to, to climb the ladder, it was Jesus, the very person of God who came down to earth to live with His people. It was the Spirit who came and, and went into all of the apostles, all the disciples, and last week we saw how the Spirit went in all the Gentile believers, the very person of God in us as well. Just straight away, right away, nothing that we needed to do to earn it, only turning to God and saying, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ as my one and only Savior. And I think it's only when we recognize that heaven comes to earth that, that we are already lifted up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms that we can, we can put away all the talk about earning our salvation. You can, you can put away the ladder until you need to put up the Christmas lights. You, you can get rid of the ladder. It's not your works that earn anything. But they're there for a purpose. If we look at verse 10. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There's a purpose there. God created you. We recognize that it was, it was God who knit me together in my mother's womb. And as He was doing that, He was giving me a purpose in my life to live out a belief in Christ in response to what He has done by doing the good works in which He has prepared in advance for us to do. God already knows what He has planned for you this week. He already knows the the ways in which you will interact with your friends and neighbors and schoolmates and and, uh, co-workers. He knows how you're going to interact with the people that that live in the same community where you interact with them at the the dining hall or the lunchroom or the, the, the entryway. And He has a a purpose for you as a follower of Christ. A a purpose to to live in a way that honors God, that recognizes Him as the supreme authority and brings that into everywhere that we live. Participating in the work that God has laid out for us in advance. Participating in the work that God has for us as as we make earth, as we make life here just as it is in heaven, as we, we work for ways of justice within our community, making sure that people have the food necessary for life. That's why there's the community garden. That's why we support Streams of Hope. That's why people volunteer doing the work of God by pulling weeds. That's why people do the the work of God by picking the beans and and the the tomatoes and all of the different things that are grown there. That's why people do the work of God when they volunteer because they want to see a world that is more just tomorrow than it was today. Where there is less food insecurity tomorrow than there was today. God has placed these works out in front of us, before us, that we would be able to open our eyes and see how God desires you and I to live here on this earth, making this earth more more like as it is in heaven. God places these things before us by being board members or elders or, or deacons or admin team people. God places things before us as we reach other generations, as we, we lead discussion groups on Sunday after, uh, after church, as, as we lead groups and invest in the lives of children through, through the kingdom kids and gems and cadets on Wednesday night. Each of these is, is the work that God had prepared for us. The work that would exalt Him, recognize that that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. That we would would recognize that because of the, the major sacrifice that Christ has done by giving up His life, that we may have life, that 
that then we could in turn giving up something of ourself. By laying aside our desires, by laying aside perhaps our selfishness to have our time and to have as much time as we want for whatever we want to do it, where instead we're going we're to give up of ourself to put us in positions where we, we respond to God's mercy in our life by building His kingdom, not our own. By making sure that He's glorified in each and every moment of our life from the time that we, we wake up to the time that we rest our head in the evening. An opportunity where we, we partner with the work of Christ. As He works inside of us, renewing our lives as, as we partner with Him, renewing His kingdom in His world here on earth. Getting an opportunity to live out Not our own selfish story, not our own kingdom, but God's story of mercy, of grace, of salvation that didn't require anything but belief. Because salvation, it's no assembly required. Jesus, He completed all the work. Jesus said, it is finished that we may receive the benefits that come from Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You that by Your Spirit You come in our life and work in our, our life in a way where we would acknowledge Jesus as Lord of it. And that when, when that takes place, that we can remember that it's from that time on that we have salvation through Him. Lord, help us to, to live in ways acknowledging the price that Christ paid by desiring to put good works in their place. Not as an addition to salvation, but as a sacrifice You call us to do to live in a way that honors You and brings Your name to the generations that will come after us. Give us strength each day by Your Spirit to to value others as more important than ourselves. Cause Your Spirit to work in our lives that we would have, have them open to Your leading, that those good works that You have prepared for us in advance would would, would jump off the pages of our life, would, what those situations would, would be so noticeable that, that we would spring into action through the Spirit working inside of us, bringing Your justice, Your care, and Your mercy and Your love to those we interact with. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.